I think that people get so caught up in their daily studies or daily lives, oh, I've got to get this, I've got to do that, done, you know. And I'll tell you, some of the students come in just so filled with anxiety and, you know, and I'll sit down and we'll do a meditation and we'll walk with the ancestors on this meditational journey. And, you know, they'll leave my office saying, thank you, I feel so much better. And, you know, so I'm very grateful to be able to share that with the students. This is the land you're on, acknowledging the Haudenosaunee, interviews and conversations with indigenous community members and allies, providing the context and perspective needed to understand the complicated history of the land you're on. Diane Shenandoah occupies a groundbreaking position in American higher education, incorporating indigenous practices into healing work with Syracuse University students. Confederacy. My name is Diane Shenandoah. I introduced my native name. I am part of the Wolf Clan of the Oneida Nation. And I, my role here is Hoiadinianawazik, which means one who helps. I'm a faith keeper, and the faith keepers are, are more on the spiritual side of things. It is our responsibilities to carry out our, our beliefs, share our beliefs to, you know, the, the upcoming generations. I'm really loving it and enjoying working with the students here. I have been an energy worker my whole life. In fact, when I was growing up, we used to, you know, anybody that was in pain, back pain, knee pain, whatever, we'd all, you know, do our energy, work on them, surround them, and, you know, and they'd be like, well, it feels better, and I figured everybody did it. Okay, you know. So in growing up, that was very much part of, you know, what we did as a family, and I continued on with that. I'm a sculptor as well, so I kind of feel like that was my energy as well, going into my artwork. As I continued, I picked up different techniques and different elements that help in this capacity. So about 13 years ago, I had a friend who was a Reiki master, and one of my sons became very ill. And she said, well, come over, I'll teach you Reiki. So I did that, and I was like, wow, this is kind of like almost what we do, you know, this is cool. So um, probably about seven years ago, eight, nine years ago, I met a woman down in North Carolina who was a energy worker of sorts, and she knew a lot of different herbal remedies and medicines. And she asked me if I'd ever tried tuning forks. And I said, well, no, I've never done tuning forks. She said, well, come over and I'll teach you tuning forks. So I went to her house and I told her that, you know, the work that I did in the energy work. And um, so she did a session, tuning session on me, and then I did one on her. And I intuitively feel where the acupressure points are. So that's where I put the tuning force. And she was like, oh, my God, Diane, you got you to gotta take these. And she gifted me the tuning forks. You take them. You have this gift. Take them. So ever since then, I've been doing tuning fork sessions as well. So when this position came along, I applied for the job. And from what I understand, there were 12 others that had applied. And we went through four rounds of interviews. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just kind of talked about what I do and, you know, that my role is a faith keeper and I bring that in all of everything that I share, even when I do energy work on people. You know, we talk about our our intuitions and our own abilities to work within ourselves to help that healing process. So that's what I kind of try and bring into my role here as um, Hoa Dianawasik is trying to uh, have students focus more on their inner energy, their well-being and their gifts as individuals. The unique position that Shenandoah occupies at the university was one requested by the Resilient Indigenous Action Collective, 
a self-described indigenous-led and indigenous-only organization dedicated to decolonization, indigenization, resurgence, land reclamation, sovereignty, and racial and gender justice. Danielle Smith helped to found the collective during her time as a student. Yeah, so I am Danielle Smith. I am from the Onondaga Nation, born and raised. I still live there. I am Hawk Clan, and my Ungwehue name is Diona Donke. And that means in between the leaves. Oh, and today we are on this trail to go to the top of Blue Mountain. It's in the Adirondacks. And to see the beautiful views. And I decided to do my interview while I'm hiking because that's my favorite place to be, is to be in nature. I just, I feel more grounded and more connected when I'm in the woods. The Resilient Indigenous Action Collective. So we started just as a group of friends at SU, Indigenous students, just, just trying to organize different things for other Indigenous students. And, um, and then not again, SU happened. And obviously uh, we were in coalition with them as Indigenous students at SU. We, we went through that whole process, we supported them. And then from that, as Indigenous students at Syracuse, we decided to come up with our own list of solutions that we then presented to the Chancellor. And that eventually after a little over a year, finally got signed by the Chancellor. You know, there are, there are some steps that are being done and some changes that are happening. So for example, one of the solutions was that we wanted more indigenous faculty. We wanted an indigenous counselor, therapist. Those two things have been met. I mean, we obviously still want more indigenous faculty. We asked to change the land acknowledgement, which we have. We're actually waiting on council to approve some of the language we're slowly seeing some progress, right? Um, a very long process to even kind of get these initial meetings. And then I feel like still today, like we're still kind of fighting. Like we're like, okay, we asked for quarterly updates and we asked for them in an email and we have to remind them every quarter. What's going on? What have you gotten done? You know, so again, it makes us feel like we're not important. Like we're, we're constantly made to feel invisible. And now our Indigenous students still have to tell teachers who they are. They still have to explain to classmates what they represent. And they still have to answer to stereotyped questions that come to them without knowledge. University Ombuds Neil Paulus formerly served as the assistant director of the Native Student Program. And my son is coming here in the fall as a freshman. He's going to study, you know, in arts and sciences and there may be maybe a moment here and there where he has to explain who he is and where he comes from. And my only hope is that I've given him enough knowledge through the years, had him part of enough conversations in the background to be able to speak to who he believes he is and understand where he comes from, even if he hasn't evolved with the same level of knowledge that I have, right? Because what 17, 18 year old kid does, and I didn't either. I had to develop it 
because it wasn't part of my core curriculum, K through 12 either. So I, thankfully, it was part of my every other day curriculum that I at least had an understanding so that when a teacher in anthropology class in undergrad started talking about something that was a medicine that I was a part of, and I took great offense to it being in that classroom, all I could do was stand up in that classroom and yell at that teacher and say, what you're teaching is inappropriate and wrong, and I don't agree with what you're teaching right now to this class. And I sat down and I offended that teacher because I was so offended, I didn't know any other way to do it. And I did it as both my friends, my indigenous friend sitting on the right and my indigenous friend sitting on the left, both grabbing both my arms and trying to pull me down and me fighting them off to stand up in class and saying, no, I have to say this. I have to do it. They were a non-native anthropologist who was speaking as an expert on indigenous, right? So then they start bringing in singers and dancers and bring in speakers. So let me, let me bring in all these people to teach and educate the students and the greater college population, faculty, staff of, of indigenous heritage. So they start calling in people to speak. Guess who they called in? All those people who I sat at the dinner table with. All those people who I called mentors. All those people whose words I heard that inspired me to stand up in that teacher's class and say, what you're teaching is wrong. So it's still young. It's still, for indigenous people to express who they are, it's still young. I am here for the students that kind of feel in search of or looking for or maybe not feeling like they belong or, you know, just kind of out of sorts, out of balance. So that's how come I have the, the full moon ceremony. And the full moon ceremony is to just, just to stop and give thanks. You know, how often do we just stop and give thanks for our hands, for our feet? You know, for, for ourselves, how often do we stop and just pause and say thank you? You know, and Grandmother Moon watches over the nighttime sky. She controls the cycles of water, of women, the tides of the ocean. She dictates the times that we plant, the harvest time. So we just need to stop and give thanks to her as well. The Kairos blanket exercise puts participants in the role of indigenous peoples as the effects of colonization are demonstrated in a physical space. The event space is covered in blankets, each representative of a specific territory of native lands. As the narrative progresses, blankets are taken away, as are some participants, while the remaining move closer and closer together. The a Witness to Injustice program actually is brought to us by Noon, the Neighbors of the Onondaga Nation. Cindy Scolacci, she's, the, she's one of the facilitators. It is really a piece of history that is not taught in history books. You know, the attempted erasure of our people is incredible. It's definitely poignant, you know, when you, when you participate in it. But it's a story that needs to be told. It just keeps bringing out pieces that re really weren't taught in school. When I was growing up, there was like maybe, you know, two paragraphs of, oh, the Iroquois lived in New York State, like, you know, past tense. And, right. and I'm like, oh my God, we're still here, you know? So the, the blanket exercise, I felt, was so important 
to bring to this community. You know, and I think it's important that every single person here know about the land they're walking on and know what happened here about the land that they call home. They should realize this was somebody else's home before they got here, you know? And I, my goal is for every person to see it. My goal is for every student, staff, and faculty to see it, you know, to, to, to witness it. I think it would be awesome to figure out how to put it in the curriculum, you know? Somehow, some way, I applied to the student, first year student experience, so I think that learning how to heal through peace and forgiveness is very key, and I think that the blanket exercise brings that awareness about that there is trauma that happened here through the boarding schools, all of the, you know, the tragedies that have happened with all the children. Like 10,000 children in Canada have been found so far in the boarding schools. 10,000 children, and there's a little over 200 schools in Canada. There are 800 in the United States, and they've not begun to look here. They found, I guess, what, Carlisle Indian School, they found 200 bodies. But, you know, they come take your children, and they're never, they're never seen again. That's, that's genocide. And for a body of people to do that to another human being, children, Imagine the trauma that they carry through their DNA and their beings. So there is trauma on both sides. There is, there is healing that needs to be done on both sides. But you can't begin to heal if you aren't aware. And then once you're aware, you need to acknowledge, oh, this is what happened in order to uh, heal. And then from there, you move into forgiveness. But you cannot forgive without love. There's no forgiveness without love. So that's the whole embodiment of what I feel like part of my role is here. That's a small part that I am trying to do uh, through the blanket exercise, through um, you know bringing about the awareness and the acknowledgement. And then there can be healing and forgiveness. I hope to have like maybe some more social dancing. I know that the Native Student Program has it, but I want to get more students involved. Our social dancing is more of our social songs that are acceptable to sing in public. Uh, some of our songs are very sacred and we can only sing in the longhouse or you know, in certain ceremonies. We have songs that will quicken birth. We have songs that will quicken you know, a passing. We have different songs that you know, are, are carry different uh, meanings. So the social dancing is when we can sing in public and we invite all the, all the you know, um, community to, to join in and participate in social dancing. So it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And uh, this is how we show the Creator that we're happy and grateful for all things, is that we participate in the dancing and singing. The Native students here, a lot of them come from a long ways from home, and I've had a couple of students come in and you know, they're like, I'm so happy you're here, I'm so lonesome, and you know, and I tell them you know, about the full moon ceremony, or you know, that this, now we have to look at this as this is our community now. When you're far away from home, this is you, this becomes your community, and this is who you have to look out for. This is who you have to check in with. You know, this is your community. This is part of your belong, where you belong for the next four years or however long you're here. That's why part of the full moon ceremony is so important, because when we come together in the full moon, I pass around our sacred tobacco, and this is what we pray on. 
and I tell them, I said, you can pray for anything you want with this tobacco. Pray for your family back home that they're safe. Pray for your life here and your studies or whatever it is that you want to pray for. But we're praying as a community here and we're sending out this energy as a prayer to, to our loved ones at home. And it's open to all students because even the, the non-native students um, have that same type of anxiety, you know, as young people that are growing up in this era, you know, of the wars, Ukraine, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, and, and there's a lot for young people to deal with, you know, so I'm, I'm grateful to be able to at least bring a little bit of, you know, uh, I think sense to, <laughs> to a little bit of, you know, what our duties are as human beings, you know, to, to take care of one another. I think that um, people get so caught up in their daily studies or daily lives, oh, I've got to get this, I've got to do that done, you know, and I'll tell you some of the students come in just so filled with anxiety and, you know, and I'll sit down and we'll do a meditation and we'll walk with the ancestors and, you know, we'll, we'll you know, we'll on this meditational journey and, you know, they'll leave my office saying, thank you, I feel so much better. And, you know, so I'm very grateful to be able to share that with the students. While the need for healing drives Shenandoah's work with students on campus, it is also central to her retelling of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy's formation. Um. Well, you know, at one time, the, uh, the Haudenosaunee were at war. There was great wars, I mean, killing and just horrible, horrible wars here because we had forgotten our original instructions. We had forgot to love and care for one another. And we had the evil chief named Taradaho. Taradaho, they say, used to tie snakes in his hair. He had crooks in his body and just very evil cannibalism, you know, just a horrible, horrible person. He is Onondaga from the Eel Clan. So, um, in fact, they say that his lair was right over near Destiny Mall. There was a prophet, for lack of a better description, uh, named Hainwenta, who had all of his daughters murdered by this evil chief, Tadadaho. And so when they were murdered, he was so grieved, he was so grief-stricken, he couldn't eat, he couldn't think, he couldn't function, and he just wandered around. You know, they say the songs of Tully and down through there, Song Mountain, he just wandered for days and days and weeks and just couldn't function. Now you hear several different versions of this, but this is the version that resonates with me. When he was so grieved that he, he decided to end his life, he just couldn't take the pain anymore, so he threw himself into a lake. And when he did, they say that the geese lifted the water away so he wouldn't drown. And there at the bottom was the purple shell, the quahog shell. And the quahog shell, the purple and white that's on the flag, that's what that represents, that quahog shell. So when he saw that, he knew that he was saved for a reason, for a purpose. And he thought, I'm going to create a ceremony that will help me heal. And if I was to come across anybody else that was grieving as heavy as I was, I would want them to do this for me. He got the shell and he started making beads from there. In the first bead, he said, this will represent the, the eagle feather. And I would want somebody to take the eagle feather and brush the dust of death from my ears, from my shoulders, brush the dust of death away. And the next bead, so this bead would represent the deer skin. I would want somebody to take the deer, the softest skin of the deer, and wipe the tears from my eyes so I'd be able to see, so I'd be able to, you know, see all the beauty around me. I'd be able to, you know, see again and wipe these tears away. And then the next bead he took and he said, this bead will represent the water. Water is life and that the water, I would want somebody to hand me a drink of water so I'm able to, able to speak. So I'm able to, you know, able to communicate with another, another human being. I'd be able to to communicate. So, um, 
being able to hear where the eagle feathers, hear the beautiful songs of the woods, of the birds, you know, being able to see and being able to speak. And so as he was doing this, they say the peacemaker came to him and the peacemaker asked him what he was doing. So Heimwent went through the story of what he was, what he was creating there, went through the, you know, the different steps. And the peacemaker said, well, we're going to create another one. This one will represent forgiveness. You need to forgive. And so they added that and then they made another one. And they said, and this bead will represent the songs of love. We need to have songs of love to each other in order to forgive. And they did this along with Jagunsase, who was the first clan mother. They first went to the Anadaga, and Tadadaho chased them away. Wouldn't have anything to do with them. He's like, no, you know, I don't want to hear it. He didn't want peace. So Jagunsase, Hayamanta, and the Peacemaker all went from nation to nation. They went to the Mohawk, to the Cuba, to the Seneca, to the Oneida. And so then they went to the other nations. They went around to the other nations. And every nation that heard this, they just loved it. They just loved it. That, you know, they wanted peace so bad. And they accepted these messages. And so they went from nation to nation gathering people. And they said, we all need to go together. And we will take this message together to Tadadaho, to Anadaga. And so they all came into Anadaga singing songs of love and forgiveness so that they, that they could be together as, as a confederacy. And as they did this, they say that there was a big eclipse that happened. And when Tadadaho heard these messages and songs of love that they forgave him and loved him and forgave him and loved him singing this, that when that eclipse happened, they say that he, as it passed over him, they say that he straightened up. And I believe it was the seven crooks, the seven chakras that aligned when he accepted the messages of peace. And he was uh, made the chief of all chiefs. So when he goes to other nations, he's their chief as well. So he's everybody's chief in the Confederacy. And they say, we will uproot the tallest white pine tree and we will throw our weapons of war underneath there so there will be war no more and we will live as peaceful people. So they gathered around that tree, that white pine tree, and you've probably seen Orrin Lyons painting that depicts that beautifully. But that's how Haudenosaunee Confederacy was formed, under the peace through forgiveness and love. For many years, Diane sang backup for her sister, legendary singer, musician, and activist Joanne Shenandoah. Joanne passed during our production after a lengthy illness. Our first concert was in front of 15,000 people in Vancouver, and she just said, don't look at anybody, Diane, just don't look at anybody. I'm like, yeah, okay, and my knees were shaking and my hands were shaking, and I was <laughs> trying to play the drum there, but it became easier and easier, and then it just was so natural to sing with her, and we've sung from Turkey to, you know, the White House, you know, the, the Vatican, the, you know, I mean, ar around the world and across the United States, of course. I think we've been to every native, you know, uh, territories out here. And we flew out to Montana, the Crow Fair, which is one of the largest native gatherings in the country. It's huge. Well, that and probably the Navajo Fair. But we flew out there and it was the most amazing sight to come across, and we we're in a limousine. <laughs> it was kind of funny, but but we were coming over the hill, and there was over 2,000 teepees set up just everywhere. It looked so awesome, and there was kids like riding horseback all through it. It was like it made me cry. I was like, 
ah, this is mind blowing. It was just, it was just the, kind of like the one of the biggest thrills, I think, to you know, just to come into a native community like that was just awesome. Not, not, not the limousine, but you know, it's not a sight you see every day. I'll tell you. <laughs> and we've just had some amazing, amazing times. It's just, you know, it, it was a hard, uh, it was a hard loss when she crossed over. You know, but I know that she's still around. You know, in our teachings, we say that, you know, there's very close, still this close to us. So, you know, I can still feel her presence. And um, I'm very grateful to her for the, for the gifts that she gave me of, of traveling and meeting other people and, you know, and the harmonies and singing on her CDs. And, you know, when we harmonized together, her, Leah, and I, the first time we did together, we, we all cried. We're like, oh, my God, that's so beautiful. I mean, it, was, it, it sounded spiritual, you know, our harmonies. They were so pretty. So, yeah, it's, it's been a pretty incredible journey singing with her and traveling with her and Leah, you know, and having just having that experience of a lifetime. You know, I know, um, yeah, I was just very honored, very honored to have her for a sister. She was an incredible lady. And one thing about Joanne is that she really celebrated life. Every little accomplishment. Every little accomplishment. I'm sorry, we're crying. No, there, there are actually tears of happiness. I was very honored to see all that. You know, but um, she celebrated everything. Everything was a celebration. Even the littlest accomplishments. Oh, come over, we'll make Mexican and tacos. And, you know. <laughs> and everything was like, um, a celebration with her. So, you know, that, that, um, that, Vitality and that you know that, that life that she that she um, lived here was really a celebration. So that's a good reminder to me, you know. And and that's what I try and share here as well is that you know we need to celebrate even the smallest accomplishments. You know, even the smallest things in our lives we need to celebrate and and be happy because that's why we're put on this earth to remember and to remind ourselves that we're to love and care for one another and to celebrate our life. The Land You're On is a production of Access Audio, a storytelling initiative of the Special Collections Research Center at the Syracuse University Libraries. Produced by Brett Barry, Bianca Cayella-Breed, Neil Paulus, and Jim O'Connor. Post-production by Silver Hollow Audio. The Land You're On is distributed by WAER Podcasts, available at WAER.org, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Production help for The Land You're On from Cal Doherty and Kevin Claus. For further information, reading, and educational resources, visit The Land You're On Research Guide, available at soundbeat.org.